0: Yesterday, I had an adventure. Um, Kathy and I needed a new printer for our computers at home. And so I got online and I did research and I looked at them and what they can do and costs and everything. And, and um, just figuring out exactly which printer we wanted. Let me tell you that checking out took longer than the research that I did I went to I won't name it but it starts with a W and ends in art um and uh, I went back and found the one that I had looked up online and I put it in my cart and I went to the register right there in that department and uh, I also needed to get some ink so they had to open that up for me to get stuff out and the guy who uh, came to to check me out. It was a very nice guy. He was probably a couple years older than me um, and he was having some troubles. First he was having trouble getting his, his uh, register to open uh, to get it so he could, he could do things. Then when he scanned it it rang up $30 more than the posted price. And I said, ah, that's, that's not the right price. I said, I, uh, it's, it's marked back there. He says, well sometimes they're on the wrong shelf. I'm like, no. I looked at the model number that's not the right price, plus I looked it up online. So he has to go back there with me and verify that that's, you know, a different price. So then he comes up and he starts to try to change the price, but it's too big of a price. And he is not allowed to make that big of a price difference. So um, he's trying to do it, and all of a sudden the register just locks up on him. And he, uh, after a few more things, he tries, he says, all right, I'm going to call for some help. And and he gets on the intercom, and I kid you not, um, this is what he said, and he sounded like it was what I would have said if I got on there. He gets on the intercom and says, would somebody with a little more register experience come back to electronics, please? And then he hangs it up, and nobody comes. And meanwhile, there's a line building up behind us. Uh, it gets to the point where there's like six people wanting help with their all, all the electronic stuff. And he's like, I can't, and he can't even like suspend my transaction so he can help other people. And people are getting impatient. And finally a young lady comes out, but she's like, I'm already heading over to somebody else. I'll, I'll get them and then I'll come back. And she goes off and um, he's he's kind of starting to get A little panicky because there's a crowd of unruly art shoppers there. And uh, um, finally, a guy who's apparently a supervisor comes walking by with his baseball cap on, doopy doopy doo -doo, with a cup of coffee. And he says, "Uh, Rob, Rob, I need your help. And uh, he says, what? And Rob comes over there and um, he says, I need you to do this, that, and the other thing. And Rob goes, I'm not on the clock yet. I still got another minute. And at first I thought he was just being snippety, but apparently their systems are such where if he's not on the clock, his numbers won't work as a supervisor. So we're all standing there while he is literally doing this. And it's like, in my mind, I could hear, do, 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 do. Finally, it goes, and he goes, and enters it and says, there you go. And he walks away to go help some other folks uh, at the other register. Meanwhile, my guy looks at the register and goes, oh, you did the wrong thing. You just suspended the transaction, which was what he had originally been trying to do so that he could help other folks. He says, I need you to override the price. And Rob is over there, and he's starting to walk away with other customers, like leave the area. And my guy's like, hey, Rob, Um, hey, Rob, hey, hey, Rob. Finally, I went, Rob! (laughs) Rob turns around, and he says, I'll get with you when I'm done with them. And so I'm standing there. The clerk is standing there. Six people behind me are standing there while he's helping out two guys who, I, I kid you not, They were my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. And they come back to the register with their stuff over there while we're all standing there watching them. He rings them up and one of the Daryls gets out his his credit card and nine times he tries this credit card. In Sunday school this morning, we went over the passage that says, Be angry, but in your anger do not sin. I was this close. <laughs> he finally gets his registered override, but now he's got to rescan it. He comes back over. There are six scan bars. I will give him credit. It only took him three tries to get the right one. And he finally rings me up. And I'm about to walk away and he realizes, oh, that's got the safety device thing on it for the alarm. I need to take that off. Hold on a minute while I find that tool. (laughs) I don't watch a lot of television. Uh, And the little that I do is often from the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. I like a lot of their shows, especially mystery stuff. But one of my favorite television shows from the BBC is Downton Abbey, a show about the wealthy aristocrats of England and their servants just before, during, and after World War I. They live in a time of social upheaval. And the main premise of the show, the main concept of what this show is about, is that The the heir to the estate and the title of Earl has changed. The one that was in line passed away, the aristocrat. And it has now been shifted over to the next closest male relative who is a middle class lawyer. The first working man who will become the new lord. And the mere idea that the new Lord Grantham would be someone who holds a job is unthinkable to their Victorian mindsets. Um, Richard, would you please turn off all of the lights here for a moment? We're going to watch a video clip of when the old money family meets the new heir who is going to be the new lord. Can you turn off this bar of lights too before you hit play? Thank you. Come into the drawing room and you can make all the proper introductions. Thank you guys. The blonde guy is the new heir. Do you think you'll enjoy village life? It'll be very quiet after life in a city. Even Manchester. I'm sure I'll find something to keep me busy. You might like the hospital. What sort of hospital is it? How many beds? Well, it, it isn't rarely a hospital. Oh, don't let Dr. Clarkson hear you? He thinks it's second only to St. Thomas's. It's a cottage hospital, of course, but quite well equipped. Who pays for it? Oh, good. Let's talk about money my father gave the building and an endowment to run it in a way he set up his own memorial but how splendid and mr lloyd george's new insurance measures will help please don't speak that man's name we are about to eat i will hold it steady and you can help yourself sir yes i know thank you you'll soon get used to the way things are done here If you mean that I'm accustomed to a very different life from this, then that is true. What will you do with your time? I've got a job in Ripon. I said I'll start tomorrow. A job? In a partnership. You might have heard of it. Harvill and Carter. They need someone who understands industrial law, I'm glad to say. Although I'm afraid most of it will be wills and conveyancing. You do know I mean to involve you in the running of the estate. Don't worry. There are plenty of hours in the day and of course i'll have the weekend we'll discuss this later we mustn't bore the ladies what, what is a weekend thank you someone could get the lights in the bar thank you richard i guess i should get used to i should be asking somebody else to do that not you richard i'm just in the habit To these people, the idea of having a job whilst being the lord of the manor is anathema. They are so far removed from the concept of work that the widowed mother of the current Lord Grantham does not even know what a weekend is. At some point in the history of the social order in Europe, the concept of actual work for the upper classes fell out of favor. It became so far removed that the more wealthy of them would not even stoop to the oversight of their own estates, managing their own money and everything of that nature, leaving that to land agents called factors. It was beneath them to even do what we would call desk work, to even know anything about where the very money they were spending was coming from or how it was produced. Eventually, the new heirs did not even know how the money of their estate came into being. The worst of this came into full fruition, perhaps, in the height of the Victorian age, when it became vulgar to even speak about money among those of the upper classes. And it's perhaps not shockingly that with this attitude and with the incoming of the Industrial Revolution, many of these great estates and the seemingly limitless wealth that they had soon came crashing down and many peers of the realm and nobility died deeply in debt with estates that were falling apart around them and then the estates being chopped up and sold off piecemeal to pay their creditors. The mindset was severely curtailed by the horrors of World War I which snapped their ways of thinking sharply back towards reality. The vast gap between lord and servant being largely eliminated by the simple facts of them living and dying and being torn to shreds together in the hellish conditions of trench warfare. Bullets, shells, and tanks do not discriminate between the lord of a great manor educated at Harvard or a poor farmer's son who can barely read and write. It was a very much similar situation, but perhaps even worse here in the United States, in our rural south, in the antebellum south. I would like to give credit to the book in which I read it, which I believe is Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Uh, However, when I went to read and find that, I could not locate it. But in the American South, a mindset much, much worse came about. This mindset was to their long-term detriment. Because the American South used slaves for manual labor, the concept of doing manual labor itself, just the idea, became so stigmatized, that it was considered uncouth and vulgar to do any type of manual labor. The mere knowledge of how to do manual labor, tasks such as repair work, just knowing how to do that became looked down upon and no proper gentleman would ever consider doing such a thing. You know, fixing their own things. This had the negative effect of trickling down. You know, this was among the the richest of the rich that you shouldn't even know how to do such vulgarity. And this mindset trickled down to the less wealthy and the less wealthy to the point where even the poor whites didn't want to know how or or stoop to doing manual labor because that was something slaves did. This was much to their detriment as the whole place started to, in many areas, fall apart. Because if you are a poor person, you can't afford to have a slave to do it for you, or hire someone who knows what they're doing. So people ended up sitting around doing nothing while their homes fell apart. When compared to the long and deeply instilled Puritan work ethic of the Northeast, in which frugality and hard work were praised, it is little surprise that the South stood no chance of having an economy which could compare at all with the North. This had negative consequences even further down the social scale in the South. Even the slaves themselves began to associate hard work with being a lower class of slave and would not desire to do manual labor unless required. to do so. This had a terrible effect upon them when emancipation came. In his wonderful work Up From Slavery Booker T. Washington a former slave himself records a lifetime of attempting to reverse this mindset. While he obtained every bit of education for himself that he could, Washington praised hard, physical work. He said that the best that any man or woman could do for themselves was to make themselves indispensable to those around them because of their knowledge and ability to do skilled, hard work. For decades, he built and ran the Tuskegee Institute, which taught At first, former slaves, and then simple, poor, free blacks. Not only to have a good education in all forms of academics, but also to hold in high regard learned trades of manual labor type of work. The students themselves literally built the buildings they lived in and learned in and ran the farms which fed them. To Washington, there was no better thing a Christian could do for themselves than to love hard work and have the knowledge and skills to do it in many forms. Indeed, Booker T. Washington laments, he laments in his book, that the laziest and most shiftless among those he calls his people, when faced with the concept of long, bitterly hard days of labor in order to feed themselves upon gaining their freedom, decided that they decide that they would prefer an easier road. And so he says the worst of the laziest turned to one particular profession, Guess which one? Preaching. I'm sad to say that I know quite a few preachers who fit that role to this day. The Apostle Paul would not have approved of this in any way, shape, or form. We know that Paul often worked as a tent maker while doing his mission work. And he often chose not to take payment for his work in ministry despite having spent most of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 spelling out clearly that it it was his right and all other people who who make their living from the ministry, who commit themselves to the ministry to make their living from the ministry. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9, He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul wanted to be an example to the people he was preaching to that they would understand that work, hard, toilsome work, was a good thing. That should not only not be looked down upon, but it should be admired. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 says, And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, and be dependent upon no one. One reason the Christian should be willing to do hard work is to improve the reputation of the faith with those outside of it and bring it in a good light. Donald, would you unplug that wire from uh, the the, um, headphones jack of the computer? It's on the side there. That took care of it. While it is true that their society was considerably more focused on laborious work than ours is, this wasn't the only reason that he told them this. But that they would be physically, actively productive of real-life beneficial things from their physical labors. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It was these verses and several others very much like it that brought about that Puritan work ethic that held sway for so long in the Northeast of our nation that christians need to be hard working people 1st Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 for even when we were with you we gave you this rule the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive they are not busy they're busybodies such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. There is little more detrimental to society than people who can and do not earn their own living. Not to be confused with those who cannot. Those who will not be productive are quite literally a parasite to the whole As they consume but do not produce. No Christian has ever had any business being in the situation where they can but refuse to do work. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 23. All hard work brings a profit but mere talk leads only to poverty and Proverbs 24 verses 30 through 34 I went past the field of the sluggard I love that word in Scripture sluggard it just it so aptly describes what it's talking about I went past the field of the sluggard past the vineyard of someone who has no sense thorns had come up everywhere The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. I do not bring out these verses and these ideas to be against those who do not do hard physical labor. Our, Our society spends probably more time doing desk work like I do than doing the hard physical labor. I don't do anywhere near as much of it as I did in years past. My job is probably 90 plus percent sitting at a desk or in a car or in a hospital room or in your living room. I do it not to berate office or intellectual work. I know very well how necessary those things are. I say it because our society, at least to my personal observations, our society, it would seem to me, is drifting ever nearer to the mindsets from throughout history that led to ruin in which The concept of manual labor not only ceases to be something praiseworthy, but almost becomes something to be disdained. There is a mindset that is not only not worthy of someone who is intelligent or skilled or talented, that only those who cannot do something else would stoop to doing manual labor. Something which drove this home to me was a while back and it's just been kind of percolating there for a while while I've thought about this. I was watching a debate in which a very high-strung feminist was talking to Dr. Jordan Peterson and she was deriding that certain positions were held in a disproportionate majority by men. And so there must be, in essence, quotas to ensure equal outcomes. His response was not to go into that, but he pointed out that almost 100% of coal miners were men. Nearly all bricklayers were men. Virtually all the people picking up the garbage on the streets were men, the ones Paving the roads and building the sewers, all, almost 100% men. And he asked, Are we going to mandate equality in those jobs also? And this is what really got me. That, that was something just to the side. He says, You know, sorry, Sally, we know you want to go into nursing, but nope, not going to have that. To ensure quotas for everybody equally, we're going to send you off to the brickyard. Her response, the person he was debating, was to roll her eyes and click her tongue. And it said it all. She, of course, didn't care about equality there. Those positions were to be disdained and looked down upon. In her mind, the only reason a person would take one of those jobs would be because they can't do anything else. And for her to stoop to that would be demeaning. I wonder how she thinks her coveted C-suite jobs would function without roads, walls, energy, sewers, trash service. Let me tell you something. I've worked for a multi-billion dollar international corporation running an office with 50 people underneath me. It was high stress and I was upset almost every single day. I've also worked pitch forking cow poop. I wasn't supervising a single person because I was the low man on the totem pole. All things considered, I'd take the cow poop. Does it take a more educated and intelligent person to run a high-stress office than shovel poop? Absolutely. Sure. But running a farm, running the business of that farm, probably takes as much smarts as running an office, and my stepfather, who ran the farm and is an incredibly intelligent man, guess what? He shoveled cow poop also. I have no intent to demean office-type work. I know it is indispensable. I will not get a paycheck this week if it weren't for a volunteer putting in time working in an office doing paperwork. We all need that sort of thing. The entire economy would collapse without millions of people putting in unpleasant hours, going to work in offices every day. But I don't see or hear people developing an attitude that office work is beneath them. And it would seem that more and more, our society is straying a bit, a bit more, all the time into the terrible and unchristian attitudes of deriding hard physical work. There is no honest job, none, which is without honor. A man or a woman who is willing to wash toilets, wash dishes, take out the trash, change people's oil, stock shelves, or shovel the cow poop in order to pay for the food that they and their family are eating is to be honored far more than anyone, regardless of intelligence or education, who either sits on a couch letting someone else provide the work or who acquires money dishonestly, as many, many people do. Work is something that is honorable. Hard work is to be commended. Those who go and toil and strain physically should not be looked at as less than those who go and toil and strain mentally and sometimes the physicals to be preferred in my mind. I was never stressed out shoveling cow cow poop, I'll tell you that much. We need as a society to value work in all of its forms. Sometimes even as early as ninth grade, we start to say, well, this person, you know, they're, they're, they're just going to be doing something manual. That shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing. We should praise every person who goes out every single day and puts in the time working because Jesus Christ and His apostles through the Holy Spirit said that that is something we should do. This is a little bit of an unusual sermon. I don't generally talk about what type of work people do, but I've just been seeing things a lot in the last several months that tell me a lot of people have a look-down-their-nose attitude towards some kinds of work. I go down here quite frequently to the, uh, the dollar store that's on the corner because it's convenient from the church. You know what? There's some folks there who are putting in some really hard work. And they should be looked up to for it because there's a lot of other folks who are sitting on a couch with a game controller in their hand letting somebody else do the work.